It's Sunday Social with Vaughan Davis. Welcome to Sunday Social. I'm Vaughan Davis, and guess what movie I was watching last night? I'm still on a bit of a high, actually. Bohemian Rhapsody. Bohemian Rhapsody, the Freddie Mercury and Queen movie, is in cinemas later this week. And you can go for the music. I went for the music and uh, stay for the, the, the human story. What a heck of a movie. I've been... Uh, it moved me. It moved me. That's why they call them movies. I've been uh, I've been reflecting upon it all day. Really, really good movie. Hey, welcome to Sunday Social New Zealand Radio's only hour on tech, social media, and the internet and stuff, and quite a lot of Queen tonight. Uh, I'm with you right through until eight o'clock. Show number two hundred and thirty-six. Will we make it to three hundred? Ooh. Don't want to drinks it. Uh, I would love you to be part of the show. Text me 3920 keyword live. That'll pop up on one of the many screens in front of me. You can tweet me at Vaughan Davis. There's more to Twitter. There's more to Twitter than just watching out for Jamie Lee Ross's latest uh, latest revelation or President Trump's latest rant. You can follow me on Twitter at Vaughan Davis. Later on in the show, Kate Owen makes her triumphant return to the chair with, uh, well, the down the down low on chips it, t- it turns out that uh, the Swedes those wacky Swedes rather than ordering them by the scoop to uh, to eat with their fish they're having chips implanted under their Swedish skin we've got uh, we've got the story of a creepy thermometer that tells other people what your temperature is why would it do that we're going to tell you and the return of a classic and very very addictive game we've been talking about it all afternoon first though who grew up watching cop shows on TV knows that even Hollywood police spend as much time writing in their notebooks as they do shooting at the bad guys. And that's a real problem because the more time police staff spend on paperwork, the less time they have to prevent and solve crimes. An app that's been created for the New Zealand police will wipe out 1.5 million pieces of paper per year. And its co-creator, Ruben Bale from Smudge Apps in Christchurch, joins me. Ruben, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Your app is called Family Harm. Now, that's not quite as catchy as Angry Birds, but uh, tell me what it does. Well, so Family Harm is actually a piece of an app that we uh, built with police called On Duty. So we've been working with police uh, since back around 2014, and they started an initiative to modernise frontline policing with um, mobile devices. And initially, we built this app called On Duty, which gave frontline police the ability to query people and vehicles and locations in the field. So they could look up names, scan driver's licenses, and we built out these features over time. And, um, you know, that was really a bit of a game changer for police being able to do all these different things. And so we've built uh, functions like infringement notices and traffic crash reporting. And so then the opportunity came up. Police were looking at how they respond to domestic violence. Uh, in New Zealand and one of the things that they currently had was a 13 or 14 page uh, you know really big chunky form that's got quite a lot of information that you have to fill out um, and it is important to be able to you know make sure you're capturing the right information at the scene and be able to take that back 
to to other agencies and be able to um, uh, have an effective response to to a situation. And we're able to then look at how we could use this on-duty technology to be able to create a new version of that uh, concept within the on-duty app. So talk me through how a police officer would use this. So they've got the app on their phone, I presume. They turn up at a domestic violence incident. What, what does the app do? What does it capture? And what does it tell them at the scene? Yeah, so there's a range of different things. At the um, you know, very minimum, you know, be looking up uh, information about people, being able to find out historical information, um, particularly if they're involved in uh, earlier cases. So rather than having to rewrite and recreate the information, you can see what else has been captured um, uh, at the scene, which is which is really helpful. Um, and it accesses that through the national intelligence application. Uh, there's a couple of other things that it does, which are which is really useful, which is. Um, Often in a situation, the victim might not be uh, that willing or able to speak about a few different things. And so there are some features there where we have a locked down version of the phone where you can put in a kiosk mode and you can hand uh, your phone to a victim and be able to get information for them without speaking. So we have that in English and in Māori and they're able to... um, you know, answer through a few questions and be able to feed that information back in and be able to share that with their, their wider team. Well, what's an example of the sort of information that's being captured at the scene? So we've, we, you know, we've talked generally about information, but what, what sorts of things? Um, so the information can actually change over time uh, in terms of what it captured. So the system that we've built with police is a, is, gives them the capability to present and ask various questions. But, um, you know, one of the things that built up is a risk profile around a victim. So being able to look at, um, you know, things like uh, how many times uh, or, or how often these kinds of incidents have been happening yep. um, and being able to build up a picture of, of where that's where that's at. So the actual questions as they are, you know, they, they're reasonably standard at the moment, but over time, you know, they can change and... Um, so this, this is this is painting a picture more comprehensive than just you know how many convictions have there been against a person or how many complaints as a as a per- person made. It's the stuff that falls below that threshold, possibly, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And and what information when you know? So I'm a police officer walking into a scene, or you know, I'm, I'm driving to driving to the scene, or my partner's driving, and I'm looking at my, my mm-hmm. phone. I'm going to this street, uh, I'm seeing this person. What sort of information will it tell me about the uh, alleged offender and, and the victim? Um, there's a range of different information that's actually available within the app. A lot of the things that are in the app, I'd say, would be really, you know, police's content and for them to talk about. You know, we really have built and helped design the app. And, you know, while I've got a lot of knowledge around what actually sits in there, um, you know, that's really police-specific kinds of information as to as to what they choose to present and, and show uh, within the technology. Yep. And and what what's the what's the essential difference it makes? Uh, you know, on the scene on the day, what is the difference between you know, in outcomes for the victim? What's the difference between doing it the old way and doing it the app way? Yes, yeah, so I'd say one of the biggest things. So uh, there's probably. Um, an impact on lots of different people from the victim um, you know for police being able to have up-to-date access to information um, you know if, if the, the police have attended some this particular um, like a similar incident four times in the last four days you know being able to have that information there and then be able to go and see 
what's happened at the previous incidents and being able to go and follow up on that information. And right, because can, it's, it's unlikely to be the same cop turning up to all four incidences, isn't it? So they've exactly. got that, that shared yeah. knowledge. Exactly. So being able to have that shared knowledge is a really, really big step. Um, being able to see, especially, you know, whether there are other family members involved in a in something uh, in an earlier incidents or as a, a specific um, to this incident, you know, really helps build up a picture of, okay, the solutions that we uh, have put in place from previous times, were they being effective, were they not being effective, what are the, you know, does we need to do something different Um from from what we've done previously, so there's a safety plan um, in the app that you build up, and so there might be like there might be recommendations in there in terms of saying, okay, well, do the neighbours know about the situation? Um, do they feel like they've got a safe person that they can call? Are they happy to call police? Are they happy to call uh, another family member? Are they happy to call um, you know other people in their community and be able to get those kinds of pieces of information about to present that. Um, you know, back to them and say what well, you know it happened last time, and so the app basically helps recommend uh, you know this, this safety plan for that particular risk within that. Um, right, rather than rather than starting from scratch each time or having to you know refer back to to head office, I guess. At, exactly, the, at yeah. the beginning, I, I sort of facetiously compared the app to uh, the old you know police notebook. Uh, mm. Which I'm, I'm sure still exists. I'm sure they've still got police Absolutely. notebooks. Yeah, yeah, because they're they're, they're evidential. Well, that, there's a question. So the police notebook is a very tightly controlled uh, piece of kit, and the way that it's written into and and not altered and all that sort of stuff because it's used evidence in court. Mm. Is 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 this app built to an evidential standard? Is that something that you had to get into? Yeah. So we've actually in the past looked at doing a digital version of the police notebook, um, and we've done some pilots around that kind of technology and trialling that. Um, and so that's something that's still a work in process, uh, progress in terms of what is evidential for, you know, a notebook and can it be in a digital format, how it's captured, all those kinds of things. You know, as you've said, there's some very specific rules around how you use a notebook and, you know, how you enter information in it, where you enter, like, you know, record information. I say enter because I'm so used to talking about digital technology. Yeah. Obviously, we're talking about, you know, pen and paper writing into the notebook. Um and so in terms of uh, the evidential part of the actual app, uh, I'm not 100% sure in terms of where, where that gets used further on, whether it would be used in, in court. I know that police have done a number of other trials around um, like uh, doing witness statements for, with video for uh, family harm, so being able to take video evidence on the scene and be able to present that in court. So there's definitely other... Um, the areas that police also work in, in the same kind of area that they're looking at how you can, uh, you know, have different kinds of evidence that you can use uh, in court. Yeah, so we, we talked about the, we, we've spoken a lot about entering text, I guess, into this app and, and reading text out of it. Do, does it incorporate voice recording? Does it incorporate video and, and photography? Yeah, so at the moment, there's mainly text-based information. Um, but a big part of it, when I say text-based information, is not just connecting up information. Um, so one of the biggest problems with using a paper form is say when I go and write um, my name down on a piece of paper, there might be, you know, two Reuben Bales in New Zealand. And so, you know, which is the Reuben Bale that you're talking about and how do you match that up? Is it because there's the address based at? Um, and working those those details is quite important because if, if you go and it's like a CRM, you know, if you go and create information and record it to a particular person. So verifying that you're actually working with the right 
data and the right people is quite key. And so when you're recording information, because you've got access to the intelligence application, you can be able to record it to people that are um, actual entities of that, that person. Yeah, which, which, as you say, is exactly what a, a customer service organisation would do when, you know, mm. when your, 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 your power company wants to know that there is just, um, you know, one, one Reuben Bale, not, not three different ones, even though you've moved mm. house. They want exactly. to know you the same, the same person. Hey, after yeah. the break, I want to talk a bit about the um, h- how it is you came to be developing this uh, world-leading app for New Zealand police. It's called Family Harm, and I'm talking with co-creator Ruben Bale. Back soon. It's Sunday Social with Vaughan Davis on Radio Live. Welcome back to Sunday Social. I'm Vaughan Davis, and we're talking about an app developed in Christchurch that is revolutionising the way the New Zealand police deal with family violence. It's called Family Harm, and its co-creator, Ruben Bale, joins me. Welcome back, Ruben. Thank you. I read um, an amazing thing on your website. It said that the app effectively gets rid of 500,000 hours of police work. Is, is that in, in one year? Yes. So there's a, there's a whole lot of different ways to account for the time that, um, that police, police use do, doing different tasks. But I think one of the other things as well is when you have a large number of people doing, a ta- doing tasks, you know, any time saving can actually add up to, to a large, large number. So you got yeah, huge workforce. Every every one of them's filling in, you know, one of those thirteen pages forms. You know, every, every couple of days, it, it, it does yeah. add up. So yeah. the the app takes that away and replaces it with um, data capture on mobile devices straight to a, a central database. How did you yeah. end up doing this? How how did your company Smudge Apps end up? You know, leading your little little company in Christchurch end up leading the world in terms of uh, police data capture apps. Yeah, so it's a, it's a very interesting story actually. So we started, uh, Toby and I started building apps about 10 years ago. And when we very first started building apps, we were in the consumer space and we thought oh, it would be really fun to build a whole bunch of different apps that people might get some enjoyment out of. And we ended up building a whole bunch of different apps in a year and some were really popular, like we had some that had you know, four or five million downloads. And as part of that process, what we found was there's a bit of a lottery in terms of you know, whether something would be popular and be an Angry Birds style app or be something that just, you know, no one ever saw again and didn't actually get any traction. And so we quite quickly approached some companies in New Zealand. So we worked with, uh, in the first year that we would started working together, we worked with Yellow Pages and Vodafone um, to look at building some consumer apps for them. Um, and so we ended up building the Vodafone My Account app and like Sky TV. Uh, electronic programming guides and SkyGo and some apps like for Hoyts where you can go and look at the movie um, movie times and go book tickets, those kinds of things. And, you know, the thing that we really enjoyed was making stuff that was just really, really easy to use so people didn't have to go and get learning to go and use a tool and they could just pick it up and, and get benefit from it straight away. And, and, and I suppose so I like, suppose the, the other upside for you as a business is rather than, as you say, putting out, you know, angry Kiwis or whatever yeah. your, your next great game hit is and hoping mm. that 10 million people will download it and some people will watch some ads and some people will watch mm. the premium version, is mm. you're making... Uh, you know, one-off business deals with large companies to develop something that's got a commercial outcome, right? Exactly, exactly. So you know up front whether you're going to, if you're going to spend, you know, however long putting energy into something that you're going to get 
a benefit at the end that people are going to be able to use this tool and and um, and get some value out of it. And then so we really enjoyed the part of building the apps rather than working out whether people are going to use these things or not. Yeah, well, I guess with police, you've got a kind of a captive audience. You know, every every police officer's got to use this app. How did you end up um, coming to the attention of New Zealand Police then? Yeah, so with Vodafone, we ended up working in a part in partnership with Vodafone, and we have have been for the last nine years now. And uh, so Vodafone uh, introduced us to police as part of the mobility rollout that they did in 2014. Mm-hmm. And so their mobility rollout was just getting a whole lot of devices in the hands of police, and I guess the the next step was to get some useful apps for them to use on the devices. What was the first thing you did? So very first, they actually started with some web technologies, and they had the ability to look up people and vehicles and be able to get information on on those things. And even that in itself was a really big game changer. So if you think about um, policing before having a mobile device, you know, you'd have a radio, and if you want to find out some information about a vehicle or a person, um, you know, you'd have to sound the radio, hey, can you tell me, they have a thing that's called QP, so it means look up a person for me. Yeah. And you might say, here's the driver's license number. So it'd be like QP, and a D look no, which would be, here's the driver's license. And you might say their driver's license. And so the person would say, okay, you know, there's, we don't know anything about that person that's particularly useful. But you don't get to see a picture of that person. You don't get to see any extra details. So one of the very first things that police did was just give the capabilities to look up people and look up uh, vehicles um, on the, in the hands of a mobile device in, in terms of a web format. And, and, and so that just meant that rather than having to listen on the radio and use up the radio channel time, you could get that data you know, on your phone whenever you wanted. In a way, I mean, the most surprising thing about this is it was two th- 2014 and, and they had not until then had the ability to do that. Which Did that surprise you? Um, it's a good question. Funny, it's kind of funny because New Zealand police, I think, still lead the way in a lot of these areas in terms of what they're doing with the digital technology. So you know how I talked before about being able to connect up a lot of this information and connect the dots together. Mm. Um, you know, there's a... Uh, even thinking about what some other agencies do, you know, they might be using apps where they don't actually connect that data together. It's, hey, I'm going to go and write a ticket. And yes, I put in the driver's license and I put in the name and these other details and I put in the street, but they're not actually all connected back into a CRM in the in the interface. So, you know, for right now, in terms of the way that, say, intelligence notings work in, in the on-duty application is if I see some people at a location and a vehicle and if... Um, uh, you know, look them up, I can connect all those things together. And so then if at any point in the future I look up any one of those things, um, whether it was the particular location, whether it was the car, whether it was any one of those people, I can actually see that in the history of where those things fitted together. Which you go, is, um, aha, yeah, it's a, it's a piece of the puzzle. It's one of those things that, you know, if you watch CSI, you think has been, you know, standard practice for 20 years, but a- actually the reality sometimes takes a, a little bit to, to catch up. So sp- speaking of time... You know, government agencies and and IT projects are, are not normally a good combination. How's the process been? Um, uh, police actually have a really really great digital team that we work with that um, that have have a lot of capability and work in an agile process. And so, so let's um, just let's just back up a little bit. So that the, the word agile has a special meaning in uh, in tech. What does that mean? It means that rather than focusing on the process. We're really focused on the principles and delivering 
uh, you know, workable software as the output of what we're doing. So rather than necessarily just doing a, okay, we're going to do this feature for the sake of doing this feature, it's, hey, the outcome we want to get is the ability to be able to save time, at least time in this area. And so, you know, if we have to go, you know, not follow the process exactly to get there, we'll go and do that. The other big, I mean, thinking about where software projects used to come from, they'd be in a waterfall model. And so a waterfall model would mean that upfront, someone would go and work out all the different features you want to have an application or a tool. And then you go and make a big list of them. You go and make estimates for how long each feature is going to take. So you'd say, this one's going to take a day, this one's going to take a week. You'd add all of that up. And then you say, okay, now we're going to start building this project and it's going to be a year long and you go and work through and get that finished to get to the end. Within Agile, you know, the focus is saying, okay, how do we get to some workable software as soon as we can? So it might be, okay, well, the workable thing we want to do is have the ability for police to be able to issue an infringement notice in the field. And so, okay, these are the things we need to do to get there. But as you are developing and working through the process, you learn that actually taking this path is going to be a lot more difficult than taking this path. So here's another way that we can go and approach. And so, so literally, literally agile, just change, changing direction and, and getting to that outcome as, as quickly as possible. How, how long did yeah. it take from, from uh, you know, signing the contract to you know, police having your apps on their devices? Um, I can't remember exactly what date the first version that we did, but I think it was probably about a year from when we very first started working on anything with police to having something that was in the field. But since then, we're actually up to, we're about our 18th or 19th release um, to police in the field. That's over a period of about four, four and a half years. I mean, I mean, one one year for a, for a government IT project is, is pretty phenomenal. How has it been received by frontline staff? Um, it goes really, front, have really, really good feedback from frontline staff. I think one of my, so as part of our developing the software, we spent a lot of time in the field, um, both before actually putting any tools in and, and after. And just the change in attitude and, and culture around, uh, you know, police having a bit of vision around these tools and um, creating some software that enables police to to be able to do all of these things in the front line rather than have to go back to the desk, you know, there's has been really, really good feedback because, you know, they feel like they're being listened to and people feel like they can um, you know, do a lot more than they used to be able to do, which is which is really powerful. And you've had interest from or you or New Zealand police have had interest from some overseas agencies as well. Yeah, so we have a um so Vodafone and police and Tate and uh Hexcan have a like innovation lab in in Wellington and um, as part of that we've hosted a number of different agencies through um, through to, to that and given them demos not just of you know the on duty tool but police's philosophy around how we police in New Zealand and um, you know the kinds of vision and uh, uh, culture that, that police grow here. Hey uh, Ruben Bale from Smudge Apps thanks so much for uh, for joining me normally I tell people where to download the app and have a go themselves but I guess the best advice I can give is drive too fast or uh, involve yourself in a violent incident and ask the police officer to show you their phone um, while they while they're booking you it's probably probably uh, safer to to uh, try and think about um, other people on the roads and maybe when you see a cop just ask them ask them what they think of the on duty app uh, uh, put, put in a plug for it hey thanks so much yeah. for joining us on the show cool thanks Paul.
And you can listen back to that whole entire interview. And I was joking. I was joking about driving too fast in order to see the app, Ruben. Joking. Uh, you can listen back to that whole entire interview at radiolive.co.nz under shows and Sunday social. Or whistle up your um, your iTunes and uh, have a listen to the podcast. After the break, Kate Owen, the apps, the websites, the technical things, the thermometer. Back soon. Your portal to the world of tech and social media. It's Sunday Social with Vaughan Davis. On Radio Live. Hey, welcome back to Sunday Social and uh, welcome back to the chair, Kate Owen. How do you do? Good, I'm good, thanks. You, you, you're, kind of, you're kind of good, you've got a bit of sore toe. But, uh, but, but yeah. There needs to be an app for that. There probably, probably never will be an app for that. No. Or maybe you just need a game that will distract you from the pain. We'll get, we'll get into that in, in just a minute. You, you've got some, some bad news, some bad news for the Snapchat generation. And I've got to say, um, how did I ever get a rainbow tongue or, or, or dog ears on my photographs before Snapchat? But uh, it's, it's all coming to an end and you might as well delete the app. I'm, I'm just a little bit dramatic. I'm exaggerating. A little bit. Yeah, so what's happened is, um, you know, teenagers, the elusive bunch that they are, um, often are a tell for how the rest of us are going to be using media in three to five years. And uh, they all came off Facebook and they went on to Instagram for a while and all was good in Facebook slash Instagram land because they're one in the same company. But then along came Snapchat and all the teenagers went on to Snapchat and thought, this is brilliant, you know, and they made those the dog tongue thingies <clears throat> and all was right in the world until uh, Instagram came along and decided to um, steal all of Snapchat's ideas. And there, there, was a, there, there was a step in the middle though and, and the step in the middle was uh, Mr Facebook you know, knocking on the door of Mr Snapchat and saying hello I'd like to buy you for this big bag of money and Mr Snapchat said no thank you. That's true. So, um, yeah, what Facebook is, is prone to doing when you say no to it is it comes in and it swoops up all your ideas. So that's what Instagram did with Snapchat. And uh, it's, it's just kind of come to light now that uh, teenagers are more likely to be using Instagram than Snapchat again. Why would that be? Why would that be? I think Instagram always had quite a massive user base. Um, and also there's a lot of celebs and, and uh, influencers, if you will, who use Instagram. So it was always seen as a bit more of an official platform, a bit more of a big deal, uh, where you could kind of message your favourite celebs. That's true. And, and we were talking just before the show about uh, a New Zealand uh, actor who's very, very big on Instagram. I can't remember his name. What is his name? Shirtless. Uh, Shortland Street. Kate uh, Upper. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So yeah, I, I wouldn't. I, I I don't know whether or not he uses uh, Snapchat, but I certainly know he uses Instagram. And th this is just. This, you're right. It is. It is where people connect with um, brands and celebrities in a kind of a semi-official way. But the problem is, though, like everything Facebook, the moment there's a bit of uh, traction, the moment there's a few users, they go, right, ka-ching, how can we make some money out of that? And that's been uh, grinding your gears a little bit recently, hasn't it? Yes, I'm just finding they're, little, they're being a little bit too aggressive with the add-to-actual content ratio. So, you know, I'd like it if they dialed back a little bit. They've probably got enough money now to ease off um, the gas pedal a little bit. They've never to, got enough money. Oh, think of the users. Won't somebody think of the users? Yeah. So, you know, I, I would prefer that they showed um, a few, uh, fewer ads and, and, and made it a little bit nicer of an experience And charge the advertisers more for them. Hey, um, leaping right into flu season, this is, this is kind of strange because you know, this, this, I guess the deeper observation here 
is the internet by and large comes from America, uh, from the Northern Hemisphere. So things that are topical on the internet tend to be a little bit out of kilter with our Southern Hemisphere seasons. Mm -hmm. um, but I read an interesting story this week that a thermometer company, and, and it, it's kind of a truism of the internet that anything that can be made internet connected will be made internet connected. You'll remember the Juicero internet hmm. connected juice machine. Why? Um, I've got an internet connected doorbell at my house. That kind of makes sense. Does what, it? What's, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's got a video camera on it. So right. if, if someone pushes the boom, bing, boom, I can, it, it'll, it'll buzz my phone and I can see the person. I can even talk to the person. I can say, oh, yes, leave that package under the barbecue, please, courier post person. Right, wait, wait right. come back. Don't drop a don't drop a, a card to say that I wasn't here. I'm here. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, what, what's, I'll give the, you that one. what's the craziest internet connected thing you've got? Uh you know what? I I'm a tinfoil hat wearer and I try to not have things on the internet, which is pretty intense when you think about my job. Other than the obvious stuff. Well, my computer and my phone and things like that. My my television does. Um but other than that, I can't imagine having an internet I'm not a big believer in the Internet of Things. I know that it's coming, but uh, if I can avoid having my refrigerator tell me when I'm low on something and make an automatic order to the supermarket, that'd be good. Well, here's a company in the States called Kinza, K-I-N-S-A, that sells internet-connected thermometers. So you take your temperature, and I think the idea is you don't take your temperature only when you're sick, you take your temperature every day so it becomes uh, the observed self, right? The, qu the quantified self. So it becomes a measure like your Fitbit or your, your scales or whatever else is so I've got internet connected scales and mm. I it's ridiculous you've got too much money Vaughan it's, that's the problem it's ridiculous oh, I haven't I spent it all on internet connected <laughs> things I've got no money um so they, they make this thermometer that connects to the internet and then graphs your temperature on an app which is kind of useful I guess if you know uh, um you you could know that a, a, an illness is coming on but they've sold the data to a company called Clorox and Clorox is like um GIF or Handy Andy it's a, it, they make cleaning stuff, you know, to, to, to clean your house. The idea being that if they can detect through these, you know, feverish people that there is flu in your area, they'll run ads to sell antibacterial spray and wipe. Hmm. Look, Google used to use uh, similar technology based on where people were and what symptoms they were searching. And they were able to track even down to the strain of flu as it moved through America, basically. I, I thought that was, yeah, I was thinking of that too. I think it's absolutely fascinating. It was, it was called Google Flu Trends, and they ran it from 2006 to 2015. Don't know why they shut it down. But when people were, you know, searching headache, remedy, or, you know, feeling crook, or whatever it is, they, could, they, they put it on a map. And Walmart, the, uh, the pharmacy in the States, was using that data to, to push stock into stores before people knew they were sick. Mm. This has got some interesting applications. A friend of mine, um, she uses a product called Daisy, which um, measures your temperature. So every morning she takes her temperature and it pings her phone when she's fertile. So she knows to take additional precautions or not, depending on, on what she wants to do. So, you know, you could have, you could know exactly when a whole bunch of women had gotten pregnant and um, and potentially sell to them. So it's got a lot of interesting applications. I suppose you could, you could you go, okay, this this woman's pregnant, so we're gonna we're gonna give her vodka advertising in nine months' time mm -hmm. when she most needs it. Um, speaking of the quantified self and the idea of um, being being measured and and sharing your your location and information about yourself with with third parties, which is kind of that utility creepiness 
continuum. Uh -huh. um, did you did you see the story about the Swedes? The Swedes in their thousands getting microchips put under their skin, just behind their thumb. Yeah, I've heard about this, and I've heard um, some companies are now directing it and putting instead of going in with swipe cards and lanyards, you just put a little chip um, between your your thumb and your first finger, and you can go around swiping. But like anything that's internet connected, these things are hackable. So can you imagine getting your your hand hacked? Well, that, that, I was thinking, so we'll talk about, we'll come back to the hacking, but um, so the, we'll talk about the way they're being used. It's basically mm. being used in any way where you might use like a security card like we have here at Radio Live, right? It's got a little somewhere in this, oh, it's a lovely picture of me, I've got to say, Kate. Um, some, somewhere in there is some, some little RFID chip that mm -hmm. when you put it in proximity to a, to a swipey thing, the swipey thing goes, okay, that's born, he can enter the radio studio. Mm -hmm. And this is the same thing. And it's letting people get onto trains, it's letting people get into workplaces. That, that's about it at the moment, it's not transacting. But um, if, I, if I wanted to hack it, and, and you know, Swedes are, are, are good on their gothic horror movies, uh, you just cut someone's hand off. Oh. You just literally hack. You literally. This is hacking. <laughs> hacking needs to have. Hacking's gone literal. Well, oh. it's, it, um, Halloween is coming up. Ha I'm going to go to Sweden um, and, and get a good Swedish steel knife because they make good knives in Sweden. Uh, rent a submarine. Was that Sweden? Where that happened? Oh no, I've got no idea what you're talking about now. The journalist, the the um, the the submarine captain. Uh, who who was also a submarine builder. I think he was just a sad old middle-aged man who thought he'd make himself more interesting by inventing a submarine. Um, invited a journalist on... Oh, on, and, and right, yes, yep. I know the story. Yeah. Continue tell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go Sweden. Go Sweden. Oh, uh, so, so, yes, uh, Sweden might give a whole different meaning to the idea of, of hacking. hacking. Yeah. Oh. So I'm guessing, I'm guessing, because you were talking about tinfoil hats before, um, you'd need a tinfoil glove for this <laughs> one. <clears throat> you yeah. wouldn't do it. No, do it. no, there's no way I'd do it. I mean, I already feel pretty... Um, uh, I'm, I'm just aware of what my phone is capable of and um, and how it can listen and how, you know, it, it's constantly uploading where I am, attaching that to my pictures. You know, I, I am a little bit of a tinfoil hat wearer. I'll, it's I'll wear it's it. going to, very soon it's going to become, uh, get to the point where it's going to be very, very easy to, uh, to be a police investigator because there's data about what we're doing, where we are, you know, who we're with, who, who we're yeah, with what, what our faces spending. look like. It's, 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 it's all everywhere. Uh -huh. It's all everywhere. Um, I mean, I have this, uh, and, you know, it's a truism. I don't know who I'm quoting here, but never feel sorry for a man who owns an aeroplane. But um, my aeroplane, every time I go flying, uh, it is tracked on those, you know, those flight, mm, radar flight radars. 24? Yep. I, I'm trackable. I'm, would you like that in your car? I don't like it in my aeroplane, I'll be honest, because I, I get, I get, you know, people will tweet me on Twitter, they say, oh, I see you're in Christchurch. Pardon? I yes. Didn't... Oh, really? Yeah, so, I mean, a friend of mine at the moment, um, her details have been Just put disclaimer, online somewhere. I am not in Christchurch. I will never be in Christchurch. <gasps> Shut your mouth. Don't like it. Oh. Anyway, my friend has been essentially hacked by someone and um, she's going about trying to like, close well, off. Like, had her hand cut off? No, not have her hand cut off. Like, her username and password has been pasted somewhere and um, these these hackers are really aggressive. Um, she's also part of that whole, um, you know, there's that scam going around at the moment where they email you and they say, is this your password? We've hacked your webcam and we've been watching you doing nefarious things. Ah, yes, there's yeah. a name for that. We could talk about that. We'll just talk about it before the break. So this is our... Um, 
Radio Live Sunday social scam warning of the week. Sexploitation. Mm. Sexploitation. And uh, NetSafe, uh, was, which is a very, very good website to look at for these things, put out a, a warning this week. So it is, it is just um, hackers. Well, they're not even hackers. No, you can't call them hackers. No. They're, they're, they're just um, scammers getting a list of email addresses from somewhere and emailing a million people saying we saw you on a dirty website we've got the uh, we've got the video of it because we activated your webcam and for just $830 in Bitcoin mm -hmm. we will delete the footage uh, it's a lie they didn't you might have been there but uh, they weren't watching Mm. That's all I can but say. But they've fallen for it. So my friend who got this uh, oh, this email, no. we went and checked the Bitcoin wallet, and there was a good fifteen transactions there of one point five or zero point five, oh, a certain amount of Bitcoin, yeah, 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 which yeah. equated to about eight hundred US dollars. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so they're getting a lot of people through it, and it's probably all automated, so they don't care. And and the thing is, chances are. Most of the people they're emailing have been to these naughty, naughty websites, mm. so they feel a little bit guilty. Mm. And it's, you know, even in 2018, it's not something you're going to go to the cops about, is it? Well, look, Mark Zuckerberg tapes up his webcam. I know, so I saw that. I saw do it, that. just so tape if, your if webcam up, and, uh, and then it won't be a Unless concern. you're using it. Well, maybe, maybe you should do a little startup with a, a sleek little thing that clips over and slides across. Probably and, and already exists. Made out of, you know, um, uh, aerospace-grade aluminium. Yeah, join me with my tinfoil hat-wearing club. But I'll then, be the president. But, but then what about your phone? I mean, I've got two forward-facing cameras on this phone. You know, you know, I don't want to put a bit of sellotape on there. No, but maybe just don't use the phone. Maybe just tuck the phone away. Oh, for that. Okay, mm. for that. Hey, after the break, the apps and websites you just cannot get through the week without. Back soon. The latest apps, the World Wide Web, it's Sunday Social with Vaughan Davis. Welcome back to Sunday Social. Yes, indeed, don't worry, be happy. There's a bazillion apps out there, especially on the Android app store, my goodness. And most of them are rubbish. Luckily, luckily, Kate Owen has found one this week that is not rubbish and, in fact, is a little bit genius. Tell us all about it. Ah, well, this is an app um, that connects sighted and non-sighted people. Um, it's called Be My Eyes, and what it basically does is it acts as a video conference between um, a blind or visually impaired person and somebody who has sight. So the, the blind or visually, visually impaired person it might be at a, a bus stop or something and is, can't, isn't able to read the signs or um, is stuck on a recipe, they use this app and it automatically connects them with somebody who's online, who, who is sighted, who can read the recipe for them or let them know which train they're on. It's awesome. It is absolutely genius. And the reason I say that is because I've used it. Have you? I have. Did you get a call? I got a call. Oh. So what you do is we, we download the app Be My Eyes for iPhone and Android and then you wait. Mm. Now we... I'm still waiting. Now we wait. Oh. wait waiting, waiting's only part of it. So what will happen is, so here, here I am, Mr. Um, you know, visually impaired person, mm -hmm. and I, well, I'll give you the real example. I want to set the timer on my turkey cooker my turkey cooker. Awesome. And I, I don't, I can't quite work out what the what the timer is showing me because I, I, you know, I, I can't see very well. So I hook up to be my eyes. It puts out an SOS which gets sent to I don't know how many people, but not just one. It bounces it, it around gets, the place. It gets sent mm. to many people. So you get an alert on your phone saying, "Be my eyes, someone needs help." You've got to be so quick. Mm -hmm. You've got to be so quick. And the moment you see "Be my eyes," say, "I'm I'm sorry, Mr. Chairman. I need to leave this meeting." And uh, answer it, 
and you get to talk to this person on the other end and tell them uh, what setting their turkey cooker needs to be on. It's awesome, eh? It's neat. It's 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 kind of temporary um, utility. I think in you know in a few years the phones will be smart enough that you won't need the people on the other end of it. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, it's it's humans powering the app, which mm. is and it gives you a really nice feeling. And that's part of it. I think, uh, you know, AI will get us to a certain place, but there's nothing like having a bit of a laugh with a person on the other end of the line, right? No, it's neat. Yeah. And, and so where in the world are you? You know, I'm in you know, wherever Iowa. Mm. You know, where the heck's that? And they can play it back when you say, I'm in New Zealand. They say, where? <laughs> oh, look at a map. Oh, no, uh, don't, uh, don't do uh, that. <laughs> don't do that. Well, when you're visually impaired, all maps have New Zealand missing from them. It's a, it's, a, it's a great leveller. It's a great leveller. Hey, um... This next, this next gadget I, actually has no link to the visually impaired because it might be no use to them. Um, Facebook Portal. Yeah. So I, I hadn't heard about this until you told me. Yeah, it came out a couple of weeks ago. So this is... Um, it's not really Facebook's answers, answer to all the smart speakers, but it's certainly Facebook's answer to why has Facebook never made a gadget. In the 12, is it 12 years, 13 years mm. that Facebook has existed, this is the first gadget they've made from scratch. They made um, those Oculus Rift um, virtual reality goggle things, but they were just licensed. They just bought the company. Mm. But Facebook Portal, it's a screen with a camera and a speaker. So, uh, and, and, and spoiler, it's no good if you tape over the camera because <laughs> that's kind of the point. And it's used for video chatting with your friends and that's all it's used for. So it runs off the Messenger platform, yeah, yeah. Um, which is a Facebook product which was originally tied into Facebook, yep. but it's not using your Facebook login? Was that the...? Oh, no, it does use your Facebook login, but it doesn't do any other Facebook stuff. Right. So it is ruthlessly single-minded, at least to start with. About so, video chat. Yeah, video hmm. chat. So uh, it's no good unless you have... Well, you, you can chat with someone who's, all, who's on a phone or a laptop at the other end, but the idea of it is you buy a pair of them and you get, you know, one for mum or uncle or whoever down the line, and they've got this, you know, put it on the fridge. Mm. You know, it's just a thing. You can stick it on the wall. I guess it needs to be powered. But, uh, they, you know, tap the button and, um, you know, you get a ring ring at the other end and, and there's Kate and there's Kate's mum. So it's basically Skype. It's basically Skype. It's a Skype box. They've reinvented it's, Skype. They've re well, they've reinvented, except they've, they've reinvented the laptop computer, taken away the keyboard, taken away everything apart from Facebook video chat. Is it cheap at least? Uh, it's, well, $300 US for a bundle of two. So you, you could probably almost buy a couple of Android tablets you for could. That, to be you honest. Could. But people are scared of Android tablets. This is, you know... People want a single-use device that comes out of the box, you turn it on, you press the button, bing, 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 um, you're, you're talking to mum. Right. I, I don't need one because um, my radio show... Phone. No, mm. uh, my radio show every Sunday night counts as me talking oh, to mum. Oh, does it? She may well text back and confirm it. Oh, bless. Uh, I, that's, that's, that's Hi, Vaughan's mum. Hi, Vaughan's mum, down there in Lower Hutt. I'm so sorry for you. No. Um, oh. She's very proud, very proud. Um, would you buy one? No, because I have Because you're, you're more switched on. You're more switched on. Well, I, you know, I can see my mum, who, although she is young, she is old, she would appreciate something like She's that. She's not listening, is she? No, I don't think she knows how to stream a radio station. We do broadcast on the on the FM spectrum. We don't talk about that in the digital show. Oh, don't world. we? No. Oh, okay. We talk about Rover. We do. But oh, I, I think it's... I, I don't know. I think it's kind of cool. I've yet to see one. I might, I might never see one. Uh, but it's, 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 it's part of the, the stampede of uh, American tech companies uh, releasing hardware things, you know. Mm.
it's an interesting move from them. I am surprised that they haven't, as we discussed earlier, developed, um, you know, a, a voice tool. I'm surprised that we, we can't talk to Facebook and, and have it do things for us. And, uh, well, there's, there's probably some accessibility setting you can get Facebook to read you out your timeline, but that would take quite a while to get to the bottom yeah, but of it. But it's not really Alexa, is it? It's not Alexa, no. and it's, 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 it's not Google Home. Hey, um, we were talking about uh, addictive games. Uh, I've been on a bit of a bit of a roll of addictive games over the last couple of months. I've been playing that game 2048, you know the one? Yes. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's trouble. That game is trouble. Well, the problem is I, I, I deleted it and then recently reinstalled it, and then I solved it because I'd never finished it. Right. I've, I've never won the game. Okay. And, and now I, I, I've convinced myself I'm really good at this pointless game, so I'm playing it lots. Uh, but I think what I, what I need, the only way to get rid of an addictive game is to replace it with yes. a more addictive game. Yes. Th this will end well, won't it? Yeah. So maybe 2048 was a gateway drug to Minesweeper. Ah, Minesweeper. So Minesweeper shipped... So I learned a lot about Minesweeper. So Minesweeper, if you have not played it, uh, is... It's a logic game, would you say, Kate? Yeah. You click... You click around um, what starts off as essentially a blank screen. With, a blank oh, grid. A blank, blank grid. grid. Um, and it tells you if you're near a bomb or not. And from there you can work out, oh, I know there's two bombs nearby, I should back off from this spot. Um, quite a well-known game. And, and you can, and, and you work through the logic of, you know, if this square is adjacent to two bombs and that square is adjacent to three bombs, therefore, you know... There's a bomb is, in that square. It is very, very logical. Um, I, I learned today that... Uh, I, I thought, oh, well, this is really old because it came out on Windows 3 or whatever it was. I think it was Windows, you know, back in the day, mm -hmm. in, the, in the 80s. Uh, but it turns out... Minesweeper, little uh, Radio Live Sunday social factoid, uh, Minesweeper is one of the first video games ever. It came out in the 1960s. This blew my mind a little bit. Yeah. So uh, I'm just quoting Wikipedia without checking anywhere else here, but the 1960s. And they used to play it on the... You know, you've seen those pictures that are all over the internet about, you know, here's a computer that has the, the power of your phone. Yeah. And it's the size of a room. Yeah. <coughs> they used to play it on those. Yeah, sorry, we can't do your NASA computations. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's why Apollo 13 actually happened. It, right. it wasn't because uh, they were stirring the cryogenic tank and there was a, a short circuit because of bad insulation on the wiring. It's because the mainframe was playing Minesweeper. So the point of all this, the point of all this is that it's back. Uh, it is available in many versions because uh, it's well out of copyright and they probably didn't even bother to uh, to think about that back in 1960. Uh, and I've been playing it on my Android phone and I'm sure you can play it on your iPhone. Awesome. It's, it's kind of one player, though. It's, it's, it's a solitary pursuit. It is, but uh, some of the best things in life are solitary pursuits. I suppose they are. What, what's, your, what's, your, what's your number one addictive game if it's, if it's not uh, Minesweeper? You've <sighs> spoken just, about Minesweeper. Let me just um, open up my apps and see what's happening at the moment. 2048. 2048 we spoke about. Wordscapes. Do you play that? No, what's Wordscapes? Oh, uh, it's basically a little bit of... Wordscapes. Kind of like a scrabble, kind of. It's, it's terrible. Don't get into it. And Candy Crush. I'm back on the old Candy Crush again. I've, I've never... Oh. <clears throat> I've never in my life played Candy Candy Crush. Haven't you? Don't no, start. Not gonna. Just not don't, gonna, just don't not go gonna. there. Um, oh. Trivia crack. Trivia crack. That's probably the uh, the most addictive one for me. You remember because how we talked about Trivia HQ a few weeks ago? Yep, yep. I've had to stop it. It's It's gone way too American. How much money have you won? <clears throat> I think. 
Nothing. Nothing. How many hours have you spent? Because I want to work well, out the ratio. Okay, I think we're at the end of the show now, so thanks oh, very, we'll, very we'll, much we'll, for tonight. We'll have to pick so. up this uh, discussion next week. Hey, thanks so much, Kate Owen, for joining me. Uh, Ruben Bale from uh, Smudge Apps. He was uh, absolutely fascinating. Thank you, Saskia, in the booth. And Graham Hill, of course, is waiting for the Weekend Variety Wireless. I'm Vaughan Davis. Nicey night. <laughs>